This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. Welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. In case you missed it, I released a new Guided Nightmare on Tuesday. Yay! It was my favorite one yet, and I really hope you Guided Nightmare fans enjoyed it. I got kind of experimental, and I hope you liked it, because I liked it. And the theme is definitely going to be... Uh... a thing in the future if you get my drift I don't want to like spoil it if someone hasn't listened yet it, there, it not, there's like a huge spoiler but you kind of sort of start to realize some stuff anyway uh, I'll, I'll go into it in, at a later date that way I can wait for everyone to catch up for those who haven't caught up yet um, but let me know what you thought about it uh, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram always in the show notes uh, we've got a packed show folks tonight so um Let's get on with it. First up is a story by Brittany Macbeth. You all know how much I love a good haunted lighthouse. And I hope you do too, because Brittany has got one for you. And this is Lost Souls. out across the eerie, placid waters. Well, gentlemen, here we are, I said, excited and nervous to start this new chapter. Thomas and Isaac were settling in and unpacking their things. I never envisioned myself becoming a lighthouse keeper, Thomas replied. How hard could it be? questioned Isaac. We had only met each other on the boat ride in. I didn't know their past, and they didn't know mine. Hell, we were only on a first-name basis at this point. 
We finished putting away what belongings we could fit in our small bags and headed out to investigate the terrain surrounding the lighthouse. Jagged rocks outlined the perimeter and the lighthouse itself sat on a cliff. To describe it as dangerous would be an understatement. The view, however, was breathtaking. The ocean was oddly still and could be seen for miles. It was almost hypnotic, allowing thoughts I was trying to bury to resurface. It's getting late! Thomas yelled, breaking me from my trance. Let's head back for dinner! I shouted back. On the menu tonight was rice and dried pork. We sat together at a makeshift table and made small talk, getting to know each other better. Thomas, what's your story? Wife? Kids? Isaac asked. Neither. I lost the love of my life a few years ago. I haven't been the same since. I can't bring myself to move on. Thomas hung his head. You aren't alone there. I just found out my wife has been having an affair for at least the last few months, and that the baby I thought was mine is most definitely not, Isaac said, shoveling rice in his mouth. What about you, Ben? Thomas asked me. I froze. I haven't talked to anyone about my past, let alone to people I just met on a boat. Actually, it's bizarre how we all have suffered trauma in different ways. I lost my whole family in a rowboat accident. They drifted out too far while a vicious storm was rolling in. I tried so hard to get to them, but... There was nothing I could do, I swear. I surprised myself with how defensive I was getting. The others just stared at me. Trying to conceal my trembling hands, I cleaned the few pieces of pork they still had on my plate and excused myself from the table. My sleeping arrangement was small, but suffice, and I laid on the bed, gazing at the ceiling. I really did try to save them. I'm trying to start fresh. Even though I could still hear my wife's cries for help, I drifted off to sleep. As always, my slumber didn't last long. After tossing and turning for an hour, I decided to take a walk. The air was cool, and the wind was picking up. Maybe the waves hitting the shore would be soothing. Buttoning up my trench coat, I headed toward the water's edge. To my surprise, the ocean was completely still. Not a wave or even a ripple. The wind was intensifying. The hair on the back of my neck started to stand up. Then she appeared, walking across the top of the quiet ocean. It was my wife. She no longer had a face. The outline was there. It was all a pale white canvas, but yet without a mouth.
she was still screaming. I awoke the same way I always do. In a sweat from another nightmare. It was part of my routine at this point. It's been two years since the accident. I thought taking this job would feel rewarding. Like, somehow if I could do my part to save others out here, that I would feel better about not being able to save my family. So in a way, I was excited to start this job to maybe silence the voices that haunted my dreams. To maybe forgive myself. As I walked outside, I realized there was a storm rolling in. Great. This was it. Testing us to see if we could handle this job or not. The three of us strapped down anything we thought could be taken by the wind and made sure we were on high alert to warn any ships out there. As the night passed, the wind howled, and the water still didn't so much as ripple. Thomas and Isaac didn't question it, so I just kept this observation to myself. Throughout the storms, we ultimately saved some ships from wreckage, risking our lives for strangers. But the voices didn't stop. The nightmares didn't stop. All three of us were damaged. Lost souls just trying to feel whole again. Days passed, then weeks, then months. The isolation on this island was harder than expected. We did our best to be good to one another, but being stuck with the same people for months at a time was getting to all of us. Things started to fall off the rails the night that Thomas walked into the cold, motionless ocean. Thankfully, Isaac and I caught him and convinced him to come back to the lighthouse. I have never seen a man's eyes look the way his did. So empty and unemotional. He told us there was a lady in the water, beckoning him to follow her into the icy depths. The craziest part was that he claimed that this woman looked just like the love that he had lost. He was so adamant that it was her. Thomas wasn't the same after this incident. He barely ate and didn't rest, just pacing the shoreline, looking for his love. We chalked it up to just hallucinations until he took his life. I mean, we can only assume. Yet again, he was convinced he saw this woman out in the ocean, and he left in a rowboat, vanishing into the night. There was nothing we could do to stop him. He threatened to harm us with a knife. In his deranged state, there was no way he made it to his desired destination. It was almost like this lighthouse was cursed. Like the souls we couldn't save, or the ones we had lost, were calling to us, taunting us. Isaac fell to the madness next, kept claiming he heard a baby crying every night. I 
tried to reassure him it was only the wind. We've had so many storms, yet the waters lay still. He too became distant. I found him floating, face up, eyes black, along the rocky shoreline of the island. I assumed he drowned. When I radioed out, dispatch said they wouldn't be able to reach me until the morning because of an anticipated storm and that I would have to ride out the night with my dead co-worker's body. That night, the voices got louder. The wind was screaming. How was I supposed to endure this storm with a rapidly decaying body? I needed desperately to get off this island. Just when I thought things couldn't get any worse, it started. Daddy! Daddy! Please help us! I wasn't dreaming this time. I know I wasn't. Again, I heard my daughter's little voice. I wasn't about to let this lighthouse take me down, to fall to its curse. Not like the other men, letting those unsaved souls take me away. I tried to save you, damn it. I screamed into the lighthouse, my voice just echoing back to me. Abruptly, my wife was there, slowly descending from the staircase. This time, she has a face, eyes hollow, skin hanging from her bones, and she's wailing, but smiling. An evil, horrible grin is plastered across her entire face. Before I can even process what's happening, she's dragging me out of the lighthouse and towards the cliff. Her strength is otherworldly. I'm trying to fight her, but I am proving to be no match. Before she throws me to my watery grave, I can faintly hear police yelling. They're coming to rescue me. I am flooded with relief. How did they find me so quickly? Put your hands up! They shouted through the wind. But my wife didn't raise her hands. And then everything goes black. I awoke in the hospital grateful to have survived. What was going on? I was handcuffed to the bed. I screamed for the doctor. There was clearly a misunderstanding. Doctor, what the hell is going on here? The doctor came in and curtly asked me what I remembered. In as much detail as I could, I recalled all of the events that occurred over the last several months, starting with what was intended as a fresh start, but ending in such unspeakable terror. She looks at me as if to be studying me, and 
Then she begins. I have to be honest with you. That is not how the last week has transpired. She slowly began. You see, Ben, you had a psychotic break two years ago and murdered your entire family. Then you dumped their bodies in the ocean. You were diagnosed with schizophrenia and committed to a psychiatric hospital. It is there that you escaped with two fellow patients of Thomas and Isaac. You three managed to reach an abandoned lighthouse and that is where you hid yourselves. Ben, you murdered them too. Thomas and Isaac's bodies were found in the lighthouse. You strangled them and hid them. The bodies also showed signs that someone stripped the flesh off of them to consume. I know this is hard to hear, but please don't try to deny it. We've been through this and all of the evidence points to you. When the police finally found you, you were ready to jump off the cliff. That being said, you are now being charged with two additional murders. You are an extremely sick and dangerous man, Ben. I sat there, numb. This couldn't be true. It it was the lost souls that took those men's lives and my family. I lost them in an accident. They have it all wrong. Was the lighthouse curse following me? I closed my eyes and rubbed my temples, as if somehow that would help me make sense of everything. When I opened my eyes, the doctor was joined by a detective who was eyeing me closely. I I tried to save them. It was an accident. I tried to save them, damn it. Leave me alone. I said, trying to explain to them. I struggled against the restraints. The detective slammed his fist on the side table in frustration. But when he did, the water in the cup didn't ripple. Zero movement. It brought me back to how odd it was that the water didn't move by the lighthouse. I'm not crazy. The hairs on my arms start to stand, and out of the corner of my eye, I can see what is left of my wife peering around the hospital curtain. Faceless. Again. She's here! Behind that curtain! You have to believe me! I screamed at everyone in the room, desperate for her to stop tormenting me. Security was called. Then, darkness again. Next up this evening is a very unique story by Renee Wren. I won't give anything away. 
but this would have made an excellent episode of The Twilight Zone. I'm so happy to present to you a needle in a haystack. a little boy. My two best friends and I loved nothing more than to sneak into old Herbert's barn. Old Herbert had been a farmer all his life and one of the biggest in our small town. By now though, he'd retired and all that remained was an old farmhouse and the huge old barn next to it. This barn was our prime destination during the scorching afternoons of a certain summer break years ago. Of course, old Herbert didn't like the idea of some kids wreaking havoc in his barn and kept it locked all day, every day. We kids were crafty, though, and the barn was as withered and old a thing as old Herbert himself. Small nooks and crannies were everywhere, allowing us to sneak in as we saw fit. We loved to search through all the old tools and belongings inside, hoping to find hidden treasures, but our favorite was the giant haystack at the barn's back. It was there we played most of the time. We built little nests and huts made of hay, or dug into the outer layers of the giant stack. Our favorite, though, was the jump. The jump was as simple as it could be. You'd climb up on one of the barn's many beams, and from there, you'd plunge yourself down into the giant stack of hay below. It was exhilarating, and I still remember how we'd all jump down there, screaming and laughing as if mad. Old Herbert, though, wouldn't have any of it. If he caught us inside the barn, he'd curse at us and chase us out. Should he find us jumping into the haystack, though, he'd be furious angrier than usual, and screaming at us, his tirade reminiscent of that of a sailor. Thinking back, I don't remember any of the insults he hurled at us, yet there was one thing he always spat at us in his rage. His roomy, bloodshot eyes would be wide, saliva would fly from his mouth, and his teeth would chatter in his mouth. One day, you'll get lost in there. I remember how we'd laugh at that as we ran. How do you get lost in a stack of hay? It was clear to the three of us that the old man, as we called it, was full of bullocks. All he was trying to do was keep us from having fun. Now, old Herbert might have been old, but he wasn't stupid. He knew what we were up to, even if he didn't catch us, and so he tried his best to keep us out of the barn. Yet for every nook he closed off, and for every cranny he fixed, we found a dozen more. Even better, there were a lot of old loose boards we could pull aside to enter. One day, my friend Robbie and I were waiting at the local soccer field. Melanie, the third member of our group, was late, and we were getting annoyed. When she arrived, a little boy was following her. This is Terrence, she started. He's here with his parents over the summer, and he wanted to play with us. City people, 
I mumbled under my breath, repeating my father's words. City people were common in our town. Countless people from the nearby cities had built small summer cabins and holiday homes near our small little town to spend the warm months of summer here. Some locals weren't too fond of those rich folks, one of them being my father. As so common for kids, I soaked up his hate and his superstition, not understanding a thing. All I knew was that city people were to be scorned. Robbie, of course, was the same, and seemed even less happy about Melanie's little companion. Still, it was Melanie who'd brought him along, and we were at this delicate age when we started to see her with different eyes. So, of course, we didn't mouth up and grudgingly let the little boy come along. Hey, Andy, how about we take him to the barn? You wanted to go, right, Terrence? The little boy nodded eagerly, but I couldn't help but be annoyed. The barn was our place, our little secret hideout. It's not for city people, I mumbled to myself, looking over at Robbie for support. Don't be a poop, Andy. Just let him come along. Of course, both Robbie and I eventually agreed. We made it to old Herbert's farm a good ten minutes later. For a while, we stayed on the lookout until we saw the old man sitting on a bench in his garden. The coast was clear, and thus we rushed to our destination. I quickly found a loose plank and pushed it aside. Melanie was the first to enter. Then Robbie followed. Terrence, however, didn't move, and I turned around, glaring at him. Uh, Isn't that... (laughs) breaking in? My parents always told me I'm not allowed to... Well, your stupid parents aren't here, are they? But if you don't want to come, that's fine. We'll just go on our own. He shuffled around a moment longer before he hurried past me and pushed himself inside. Oh, wow. I heard him gasp next to Melanie. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? She whispered to him. Here's the thing about the barn. It was huge from the outside, but the inside always seemed so much bigger. Now, of course it wasn't, But it seemed like that because of all the things the old man had accumulated in there. For a while, we snuck around as usual as Melanie laid open the many secrets and mysteries hidden inside the barn to our young visitor. To be honest, I didn't like it one bit. She even showed him the little hideout we'd made from the hay bales at the right side of the barn. After a while, I was too annoyed to just go along with this anymore. How about we do the jump? I asked in a loud, excited voice. What's the jump? I heard Terrence's high-pitched voice pipe up from inside the hideout. (sighs) The jump? I started, in the most official voice a twelve-year-old can muster. Is a jump from the beam into the haystack over there. As I said this, my finger wandered to the beam we usually jump from, but then it continued onto a different one, the highest one, near the roof 
of the barn. From the highest beam in the barn, I added with a smirk on my face. Robbie answered me with a smirk of his own. <laughs> yeah, a jump from the very highest one into the hay down below. Hey, that's not... Melanie started, but I cut her off right away, relishing in my new position of leader. Anyone who wants to be a part of our group has done it. It's our official initiation. You want to be a part of the group? You have to do the jump. Otherwise, you can't play with us anymore. Stop being a dick, Andy! Melanie called out. My eyes wandered to the little boy. He wasn't listening anymore. Instead, he was looking at the haystack and then further up. His eyes went higher and higher before they came to rest on the highest beam of the barn. I could see his eyes grow a little wider, could see him gulp, but then he nodded. Getting up there was easy enough. We found one of old Herbert's huge ladders, propped it up against the beam, and ascended. It took no longer than five minutes for all four of us to make it to the top. You don't have to do it, Melanie whispered at Terrence. I grinned. <laughs> yeah, you can just go back home to your parents and stay with them at their cabin. No problem. Yet, Terrence didn't react. Instead, he stared down at the giant stack of hay below. Well, what's the matter, little baby? Not gonna jump? I called out to him with the biggest grin on my face. He didn't answer, though. Instead, his eyes rested on the haystack below and were growing ever wider. I don't, I don't want to anymore, he said in a low voice. It's scary. Oh my god, what's the big deal? Robbie started. There's like a billion tons of hay down there. We've jumped into it so many times. Nothing's gonna happen. But Terrence was inching back from the edge of the beam. By now, all the color had vanished from his face, and I could see his lips quivering. He seemed to be in a state of panic. I, I don't wanna... There's something down there, and I, I... But his words trailed off. Robbie had gone forward and given him a push, annoyed at his lack of courage. For a moment, Terrence was balancing at the edge, grabbing at the air in front of him before he fell backwards. His scream cut through the air. It was a high-pitched shriek filling the entire barn. I saw his wide eyes, his terrified face, before he was swallowed up by the hay. His scream cut off the moment he vanished, and silence descended upon the barn. Robbie and I were laughing our asses off at his terrified expression, while Melanie called us stupid. Eventually, our laughter ebbed away, and we kept staring at the hay below. Hey, 
Where'd you go, city boy? Come on. You can come out now. Terrence, are you okay? Melanie called out as well. <laughs> Good work, pipsqueak. Robbie added, still grinning. Yet, all there was were our calls. No one answered them. And the giant stack of hay remained still. Melanie hurried down the ladder and over to the stack of hay, looking around to see where he'd landed. At the same time, we continued calling out to him from atop, telling him it had all been a joke. By now, we were getting worried. Our worries turned to fear when the heavy barn door burst open and old Herbert stormed inside. Now what did I tell you? You damn troublemakers. You're not supposed to be in here. I dare you. If you don't leave this instant, I'll be giving you the beating of a lifetime. With that, he picked up a wooden stick and waved it around with his roomy, angry eyes focused on each one of us. Robbie hurried down the ladder, making his way to where we'd enter from. I was about to follow him, but then stopped. My eyes wandering to Melanie. He's not coming out, she mumbled, her eyes focusing on mine. Who is? The old man demanded, as his heavy steps led him towards us. The the little boy, she started. Terrence, one of the city kids. He jumped down into the hay, but he's not coming out, I added. Dumb little... How many times did I tell you it was dangerous? How many times? Did you see anything sticking out of the hay? From the top? A piece of wood or something like that? Anything he might have landed on? No, Mr. Herbert. Nothing. It it was all normal, just like yesterday. Nothing ever happened to us then. At the word yesterday, he squinted his eyes, but let it slide a moment later. No, but he said, uh, I I don't know, he said he saw something down there. Robbie, who'd snuck back, added. The old man jerked towards him, and a tirade of curses escaped his mouth before he rushed towards the stack of hay, beginning feverishly to search the earth. I don't remember many of his words, of his mad, angry rambling, cursing at us and the damned barn and the hay. Yet, I remember one thing, he said, as he tore it aside, throwing heaps of it left and right. Just like trying to find a goddamn needle. It wasn't long before the old man realized he couldn't do this alone. Old Herbert went out, calling over his wife to help, and he told us to head over to the neighbors to explain the situation. Of course, we did as he told us, especially under the threat of being responsible for what had happened. Before long, almost a dozen people had gathered, us included, all taking away the hay and putting it outside. The work continued for hours and the sun had already started setting when we'd cleared it all out. And the back of the barn was 
finally empty. Yet, there was nothing there. There was no hint of the little boy named Terrence. There was no wood or rubble below the hay he might have hit, no trap door he might have fallen through. All there was was the barren, empty floor of the barn. You know, one thing I've always struggled with is finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. Plus, I am not the best with numbers. But now, I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. And I know you do not have the time or mental bandwidth to deal with customer service, but don't worry, they'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 5 hundred million dollars in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. That's rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. Rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. And last for you tonight is by author Matthew Lee Hansen. This story reminded me how much I've missed hearing crazy stories from absolute strangers while sitting at like a bar or something. I don't know if that's the vibe he meant to give, but that's the vibe I got and I hope I captured it. This is The Marionette. I had heard from various mutterings in the horseman's arms that he'd found the corpse slumped in a heap on the ground. Naturally, many had automatically made the unfair assumption that he was blind drunk. But I, not so. I knew the esteemed gentleman somewhat and decided to investigate the matter personally. At the time of the discovery, the sun had set and a cold mist had arisen from the earth appearing over the horizon. She was dead, badly beaten, apparently. Oh, how frightening it must have been for her, and how misfortunate was he to have been the poor soul who happened to stumble by, literally, perhaps. So, with a hastened interest of which I cannot yet explain, I became hastily attentive and ready for every word my colleague had to say. And soon I was in his company, listening with bated breath on every word. 
on closer inspection. Her body had settled, or purposefully left, I dare say, in the most unforeseen fashion, as though someone had maneuvered her like a marionette, studying the way her limbs were just sporadically placed about her. I wondered naturally what on earth had happened. The body had laid to rest not far from a huge barn, one of two, in fact. The house it belonged to was approximately fifty yards away from the barn, so it was doubtful that anyone would have heard the young woman scream. The assumption relating to her current state, you understand. My colleague knew the owners of the farm the barn was situated in. Not too well, mind. They were more acquaintances. It used to house straw, though he was no longer sure in recent times. He proceeded to inform me of his struggle. There was a strange eeriness in the atmosphere beginning to form around me. I could sense it. A strange feeling of... Well, I was going to say someone, but more a realization that some thing was watching me as though it had been expecting me. The blood stains were beginning to dry and stain the gravel surface. A disturbing picture, I'm sure. If I hadn't known any better, I swear I could see dark shadows forming around the body. But the night was drawing in and I couldn't be sure. A decision at that point, to step back against the wall of the barn, exercising caution seemed practical. I crouched low, believing my attendants to be hidden from unseen danger, thinking of what to do next. I felt trapped. Why didn't I just walk away, I hear you ask. Why, indeed? You see, the thing was... I couldn't. The soles of my feet were anxiously fashioned in situ, hastily looking to the ground, expecting some immediate inspiration to appear, but then... Then, in the corner of my eye, a singular movement. I raised my head with a dubious sense of dread, staring hard into the dark. I couldn't remember how long I had been there. It only seemed like minutes... But to my horror, as clear as day, a large, blackened mass, taking a human-like form. It was huge. It must have been eight, nine, or ten feet tall, and two or three feet wide. Well, it wasn't human. A complete and final impossibility. It must have come from the woman's body, I thought. I began to rise, blocking out any too little light I had, bringing an awful smell. A horrid, putrid smell. The smell of death. Perspiration formed over my brow and my legs buckled in fright. Should I run or face this thing? I have done. There were no facial features or recognizable body shape as such. Had it even noticed me at all, I wondered? The speculation of thinking that its eyes were staring at me were just 
to bear. I couldn't even shout out. This had to be a dream. An uninvited hallucination, perhaps? I pleaded with my conscience to please let this be a dream. Feeling lost in my mind, I laid my heavy head in the palms of my hands, desperate for a way out. But then... Steps. The crunching sounds of pummeled gravel and small puffs of dust that I could see in the moonlight. Surely my eyes were deceiving me. It was him. Oh, what joy, I thought, Mr. Forster from the farmhouse, shouting at the top of my now scrawny voice to warn him of the horrors that lay ahead but he just looked at me like I was mad. Though that could quite easily have been the case at that point. He regarded me with a calculated skepticism, completely unconvinced I was experiencing something of genuine horror. He'd asked me why I was crouching down, looking scared out of my wits. I was about to warn him quickly, but before I could utter a word gone. All of it. Everything had gone. The dark mass, the body of the young woman. All that was left to be heard were the crickets in the adjacent field and the noticeable rustling of leaves from a row of bushes nearby. By now I was confused and feeling very ill. Mr. Forster suggested I I followed him into the house and rest, as I looked like death myself by then. I gently and calmly declined his kind offer and said that I would just carry on with the journey back home. He reluctantly agreed and proceeded to walk back to the house. Tilting my head back, I took a couple of deep breaths and mopped my brow. At this point... My colleague, understandably shocked and appalled over this whole mess, looked in bewilderment as he began to laugh crazily, eyes staring blankly ahead. Whatever so funny, I inquired, shifting my seating in the opposite direction out of caution. The body, the black mass, they hadn't gone at all. They were still there. I hollered the wail of a madman in sheer madness and hysteria, the adrenaline racing through my body. My breathing was panicking before the rest of me. I looked at the shadow. Then the young woman on the ground. The woman. She was starting to move. Oh, I can't bear to relive these moments. I could not believe what I was witnessing. Why... No one else could see this? Collapsing to the floor. I watched on, my eyes so wide and open in disbelief. Firstly, her hands began to twitch. Then her arms followed. Then her feet, and the whole of her torso writhing like a snake. She looked like a puppet. Limb by limb. Her body swayed and glided around 
like a marionette, with a face of evil bruised and bloody. And the eyes were lifeless and black. She had been murdered, that was certain. But not by anyone or anything living. This had to be down to the dark shadow. But what was it after? And why was I suddenly a part of it? By now, I had made a summary of sorts, in that the horrid figure that was once a beautiful young woman was, I was told, bouncing around like she was, held up by strings, like a marionette, he said, and the dark shadow, though not as present as before, was still there evidently conducting this apparent horror show, intent on reducing my colleague's sanity to a perfect zero. He continued warily as I listened on. I began to get up, slowly. You see, I had been crouching long enough to know nothing bad was about to happen immediately. But I was wrong. Very wrong. I was now standing as I moved to my left, the dancing puppet's eyes fixed on me with a look of motivational destruction. I froze. She was quiet for a few seconds, her gaze still fixated on mine. Then she came for me, gliding through the air, hell-bent with anger. She was coming after me. I screamed. I tried to run, but my legs became heavy and totally out of control. I couldn't handle my own body. She was just too fast across the gravel, and then... I cowered ready for whatever this thing had in store for me. Hands covering my head, praying to the gods to save me from this hell. I could smell the stench of death hanging over me. I dared myself to look over my shoulder. It was right there. Behind me. Still, nothing happened. I tensed every muscle in my body clenched my fists and slowly turned myself around, this delayed torture confounding me. It was just hovering in midair like a bee, but its eyes, its eyes were gone. Just two empty sockets and a look of brainless void. Then I noticed something around its neck. I couldn't quite focus on what I was looking at. I was losing my mind until I saw the pendant it wore around its throat. My breathing became slow and shallow. I was confused, angry, and now feeling helpless. The pendant was familiar, almost identical, if not complete the same as the one my late wife had. She was wearing it when she was murdered. I was now shaking. My hands even more so. Sweaty, clammy hands fighting to work independently. I reached for the necklace when the puppet awoke, but it grabbed my wrist. I yelled again to make it leave me alone and not to hurt me. Then it spoke... Except that it wasn't the body 
of the dead woman being used as a puppet. It was the dark mass. It was inside of her. The words it uttered, I thought, was the end of my life there and then. And at that moment, I lost who I was. I would never live the rest of my life now. Or at least that's what it felt like. The voice it spoke was instantly familiar to me. The shadow was my dead wife who was murdered by me. The feeling of revenge, they say, is sweet. Then it, between two people, leaves nothing to trade. She controlled him until the very end, taking his mind, soul, and existence, just like he did with hers. Sadly, shortly after, he was found dead. Oddly, in the same place he'd experienced this demonic hallucination, if that's even what it was. No one will ever know how either party died. Maybe that's how it was supposed to be. All right, everyone. Thank you so much to my authors. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I had some great stories this week. Um, thank you to all of those who are listening. Thank you to all my new listeners. Uh, we've gotten a lot of new people in the Facebook group. That's really cool. I'm so glad, uh, you all like really, I don't know. You're so active. It's awesome. I love seeing all your memes and stuff. And I just put up a poll about like cake or pie because I don't know. It's fun. It's a fun little group. Um, I don't have much to ramble about this week. Uh, so, you know, follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, there's a Reddit page. I don't check it. So if, I don't know, you, you feel free to make it active though. It's just really inactive and I don't, I don't look after it, but I think that's how people prefer like Reddit pages. I remember, uh, back when I listened to the adventure zone a lot, I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, I remember that people got a little like squirrely when they found out that Travis McElroy was actually like checking the Reddit, the Reddit pages and they were like, oh no, he like actually looks here. Let's be good. And like, they kind of buttoned up and I don't want you guys to have to button up. So just, you know, have at it. I don't really check it. So, <laughs> oh, there's a discord too, um, where you can all talk to each other. That's fun. Sometime when the pandemic is over, even if it's next year, I really want to have like a meetup or something. I don't think I'm big enough for like a live show. That would be cool. That'd be so cool. I have, I have ideas. Um, I, very expensive ideas because I'm thinking like holograms and stuff. But anyway, <laughs> I don't think I'm big enough for a live show, but I would love to do a meetup sometime in some like big city. Uh, that'd be neat. Oh, I said I wasn't, I didn't have anything to ramble about and look at me rambling. Anyway, um, I didn't bake anything this week. Did I? No, I didn't. Uh, I drank a lot of water this week though. And so should you, if you haven't, then you know keep up with that. I like you. I want you to stay healthy and hydrated because again, I really like you. Um, yeah, again, give me feedback on the guided nightmare. I'm feeling kind of weird about it because I got, I don't know. I feel like it was way more experimental and so I'm feeling insecure. 
So just let me know. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna go now. Uh, I have some Stardew Valley to play. Um, yep. Alright. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. Item number SCP-5186. SCP-7160. SCP-7533. Object class. Euclid. Keter. Safe. Special containment procedures. <laughs> Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust. <laughs> the only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing. Do you remember your name? Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.